Hey, Sammy, how's it going? Good. Yo, I am Sammy. Every day I'm hustling, Yunnan. And here is my elevator pitch for this episode of My Summer Lair. Old school fame, old school Hollywood relied on hits. The longer you remain hot, the bigger you got. Which meant every project was a risk. Your next movie had to hit. Or your next album had to hit. So yeah, these actors and bands and writers and directors, these creators relied on the studio system or the record company system or the book publishing system as the primary generation of their riches. They were rich, not wealthy. Fun fact, Elvis makes more dead than he was alive. Then, startups and investments came along. Now, it was possible to create wealth. In some cases, generational wealth. So what does all this mean? Enter Zach O'Malley Greenberg. His book, A-List Angels, How a Band of Actors, Artists, and Athletes Hacked Silicon Valley, breaks it all down. You're going to hear us talk about Shaq investing in Google, Bono investing in Facebook, Kevin Durant in Postmates, Nas and Casper. Plus, hear a strange Katy Perry story that took place in Rome, Jay-Z's investments, and Zach's hope for the New York Knicks. But first, we gotta start with this. Did you hear the one about Ashton Kutcher, a van, and a volcano? Yeah, so I want to start with understanding how Ashton Kutcher, a van, and a volcano led to your latest financial book, A-List Angels, how a band of actors, <laughs> uh, artists, and athletes hacked Silicon Valley. Yeah, so how did Ashton Kutcher, a van, and a volcano lead to A-List Angels? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a funny story. I mean, uh, I found myself doing the cover story on Ashton Kutcher for Forbes for the Midas List issue where we kind of dig into the top venture capital names and um you know ashton kutcher was was one of them who was really kind of coming up um this is about five years ago and so you know it all came together kind of last minute and i had been intending to be on vacation uh during this period of time and had already planned out everything and so was actually in hawaii um with my wife and a couple friends and um I, I, you know, the only way that I could kind of swing it with the deadline was, um, yeah, while they went for this hike uh, on top of a a volcano, uh, you know, I forget, gosh, I think it was, maybe we were on Oahu, or no, we were on Maui, I think we're on Maui. Is this an active volcano, though? This is like a defunct? or No, 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 it was like (laughs) the one that you can drive up to the top of. Okay. Uh, And it's, I don't know, I mean, I don't remember the exact elevation, but it's, you know, it's above the clouds. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you drive up sort of through the clouds and then you get to the top of it and there's a parking lot and, um, and you can see these other peaks, but also, you know, you, you kind of, you look down and there are clouds below you and you can see airplanes below you. It's it's very strange, but, um, but yeah, my wife and my friends went off and did this, you know, five mile hike or whatever. And I sat there, uh, writing writing this story about Ashton Kutcher in the back of a van on my laptop so um you know it all it all came together and ended up um going out but 
uh, it, it actually at the time it was the th that issue was the most read issue of Forbes ever. Uh, they, they you know we got some numbers back on it and and I thought huh you know um, you know of all the the business readers out there you know uh, it's this there's a lot of interest it seems like in in Ashton Kutcher and what he's doing in the angel investing world and in venture capital. And, you know, maybe, maybe, um, maybe there's a broader market for this. So um, I pitched a book, uh, you know, kind of about this general phenomenon of famous people investing in startups um, in, uh, you know, so from Ashton Kutcher to Shaq to um, Sophia Bush, uh, JLo, A-Rod, all these people. Nas. Nas is a big character, you know, so, um, it kind of kind of pulling this whole phenomenon together and, and try, kind of trying to explore how it happened. And, you know, uh, it's, it's like kind of like this fascinating story of how, you know, a group of people, you know, if you think about entertainers, you know, actors, athletes, musicians, de many decades ago, they were basically uh, wage laborers, right. Uh, you know, working for, working for the man, mm -hmm. working for a movie studio or a record label, you know, no security, no long-term, you know, kind of wealth creation plan other than just keep making stuff while you're hot. Uh, and then if you're not hot anymore, that's it. And then you, you run out of money and, and, and you're kind of screwed. So here was this way that, that um, you know, that, that celebrities could sort of capture some value while they were really hot and, uh, and use it to get these stakes in these companies that, you know, are growing. And, you know, it's kind of this long time horizon. So by the time that these folks' career is over, um, you know, in theory, these companies are just, you know, in the stage where they're getting bought out or they're becoming profitable and, and creating these massive windfalls so that so that there's sort of a nest egg for some of these characters to, to fall back on. Um, of course, like, you know, full full disclosure caveat, you know, it's not saying that anybody, you know, any anybody should be going out and investing all of their, uh, you know, <laughs> liquid assets in, in startups. The idea is like, if you are, um, you know, somebody in the entertainment business, and you have access to this stuff, you know, you can put five to 10% of your net worth in, into this kind of thing. And it gives you this nice sort of like, you know, um, I don't want to call it a lottery ticket because it, because it works out, you know, it's not like one in a million, it's more like one in 10. But, you know, if you get like a nice diversified kind of little portfolio of startup stakes, if you got, you know, 10 or 20 of them, the odds are pretty good. Uh, you know, if, if, if you're, if you do your diligence that, that you're going to hit on, you know, at least a, a couple of them, if you're, if you're smart about it. Yeah, I mean, we've seen in the last little while where, like, actors or NBA players might pull in $15, $20 million a year, which is obviously good money. Uh, but then you look at something like the 50-cent deal with vitamin water, and then he pulled, I think it was 100 mil, right? So Yeah, I mean, and that was what started a lot of this, too. I mean, that's actually what, when I interviewed Ashton Kutcher, he said that's what inspired him to start investing and, um, you know, to be trying to accumulate these equity stakes. Uh, he saw 50 Cent doing this deal. Um, this is like in the mid aughts, went ahead and took equity in vitamin water instead of doing an endorsement deal uh, just for cash. And a few years later, he walks with 100 million bucks uh, when Coca-Cola comes in and, and buys out the parent company in vitamin water for 4.1 billion. So um, Ashton Kutcher is looking at that and he's like, well, I just did this, you know, cash endorsement for a, for a you know, a, a camera. Like, why don't I start in, you know, seeing how I can actually get equity and do the 50 cent model. Yeah. So just for context, like one of your previous books, I think your first one was Empire State of Mind. It was a 2011 yeah. book about Jay-Z. Yeah. It's Jay's birthday today. So do you have a, Indeed. do you have a particular favorite Jay investment or even a song that you really dig? 
Yeah, you know, um, I mean, he's got a lot of interesting stuff. Um, but the thing that most intrigues me, honestly, is uh, one of his most recent um, ventures. It's called Monogram. And, and I guess it's more like he's kind of starting his own thing. But, you know, it's a cannabis company. And uh, I, I just think it's such a great evolution for a guy who started out, you know, selling drugs like, you know, illegally <laughs> to now, you know, be, be finding a way to kind of like take ownership of the business, you know, in, in like a legitimate sort of uh, way. And I love the name monogram, you know, because it's got this kind of high end, you know, feel mm -hmm. to it, but also monogram, like one gram, you know, of yeah. the product. I, I think that's super it's, clever. It's his wordplay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yes. I recently read like uh, this biography on CNN called Up All Night, and it was mm. the birth of the 27 News. And of course, when Ted Turner's starting it up, right, even in like he's getting a lot of criticism because even to the late 70s, early 80s, there really wasn't any like news addicts, right? There was no hunger demand for this kind of like 24-7 news. And we've obviously right. seen that shift in our culture, right? With documentaries and podcasts and social media. Has money had a similar shift? Is it okay now to kind of talk about money? Because that's kind of what you do, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think so. It's, um, you know, it's it's not as sort of like um, uncouth maybe as, as uh, it was before. And I think I think honestly, hip hop has done a lot to sort of demystify the discussion of money in our culture. And um, there, I think, especially for entertainers, um, there still is, but it used to be much more of a stigma around earning money, right? Um, you know, you don't want to be seen as greedy. You don't want to be sort of like, uh, you know, the, like the kind of person who, it, it, you know, is, is thought to be just always bragging about their wealth, that kind of thing. But I think in hip hop, particularly, you know, um, or at least in in like mainstream commercial hip hop, there's this element of like uh, coming from a place of not having wealth and moving toward a place of having wealth. And it's like this aspirational journey and, you know, where the, the fan base can kind of, you know, kind of come along for the ride and, and you know, and, and, and is maybe rooting for the artist to succeed, you know, in a way where like, I don't know, um, in some cases, you know, a lot of rock came out of, comfortable middle-class families and there's a sort of like reaction against wealth you know if you think about somebody like Kurt Cobain you know there's a story that, that I always love where one day Courtney Love went out and, and bought I think it was a Lexus or something and and he was mortified and he was like he like asked her to take it back because you know it was so <laughs> you know statusy mm -hmm. but of course they could certainly afford it so you know I mean I think there's an element of like yeah, you know, like it's it's okay to want to be um, well off and and you know and kind of financially secure and and to kind of talk about it and particularly in hip hop, you know, you look at uh, somebody like Jay Z. I mean, his entire last album was sort of, um, uh, I mean, could could treat it as almost a, a personal finance one hundred and one. You know, it's it's just basically him telling you what to do with your money and <laughs> how to like. Uh, and there's, there's some other there's some other important stuff in there. There's a lot of, you know, cultural critique, um, you know, getting into some of the systemic racism that's been plaguing our country, um, you know, for hundreds of freaking years. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, really, really important, really important stuff there, uh, too. But, you know, but but I think that um, the discussion of money is, you know, yeah, destigmatized. And, and, you know, he's kind of one of the champions of that.
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because you're a storyteller. That seems to be one of your primary, uh, I guess, focuses, right? And money is one yeah. of the ways we kind of spin out our, our stories, right? Because, like, you'll see a number of women like Katy Perry or Beyonce, and they'll frame wealth as, like, go get it, right? Hashtag girl boss right. and be a role model. That inspira- aspirational thing you were talking about. Whereas some dudes in hip-hop is like, I got to get mine, right? Inspiration is right, almost right, secondary right. almost sometimes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I want my money. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's another interesting dynamic when you look at some of the artists is that, um, you know, I think there's kind of a double standard and that I think that female artists are criticized more for for talking about money, you know, than male artists are. And and like you say, there are a lot of rappers who are like, oh, I'm going to go get mine. And, you know, and that's sort of like applauded. But I think a lot of female artists, at least ones that I've interviewed, feel pressured to to sort of like justify it as like, well, you know, I want, you know, I'm my own, I'm my own boss, like real boss, whatever, but still like saying something like, I'm just going to get mine or get the money, you know, like they kind of tend to shy away from, I think, because there's still this expectation of, of a certain kind of backlash. But, you know, I remember when we put Katy Perry on the cover of Forbes, this is, I think the year before Ashton Kutcher's, maybe this is like 2014, 2015. That was one of her things is like, she's like, I want to own it. You know, I made $130 million last year and I want, you know, all the girls out there who are, who are fans of mine to, to see that and to be, you know, and to understand, like, it's okay to, to be ambitious and to, you know, and to, to want to be successful financially. And, you know, so she popped up on the cover and she was wearing this blazer with like dollar signs on it and stuff. And, um, <laughs> Hashtag and she was boss. sort of like, yeah, exactly. So she's like, you know, go, go get it. Um, so, you know, I think that's definitely, uh, you know, w- w- one way of approaching it. So one of the core tenets then of hip hop, because we've been talking about hip hop and money, one of the core tenets of hip hop is hustle. Uh, every day I'm hustling, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are you writing about money per se, or are you writing about hustling culture? Ah, uh, it's a good question. Um, you know, I guess it's it's kind of a Venn diagram, right? I mean, they mm-hmm. they both intersect, and um, you know, when it comes to uh, writing about money in general, uh, you know, you're, you're there's probably a hustle involved in it, right? Uh, one way or the other it's hard to get money without um, hustling you know unless unless you're uh, I mean I guess even if you're you're doing like passive investments and, and you know that kind of thing like you know Warren Buffett style like you know index funds and you know uh, buy and hold you know blue chip brands that kind of stuff you still have to do the work to figure out where you're going to put your money you know you have to do the hustling uh, of figuring out you know where you want to invest and then you sit back and, and then you know and then maybe and you wait and it's, there's a longer time horizon, but you know, you, you still had to put in the hustle to get the money eventually uh, one way or the other. Yeah. So you mentioned like when I asked you about the Ashton Kutcher story and you said that it, it, it sold really well or got a lot of traffic for Forbes. We've seen like NBA players, for example, like Kevin Durant, right? They're useful for selling sneakers or Nike t-shirts. And I get that. That makes sense. But do mm-hmm. fans who like Kevin Durant or follow Kevin Durant, are they at all interested in his, in his investment in Postmates? Like, do they understand what that means or do they care? Because you were just saying, like, sometimes people are, like, along for the journey. They want to see you get wealthy. But the actual investment, like, okay, so Kevin Durant put money into Postmates. Is that a big deal? Well, I think it depends, you know. I mean, I think I think anything that is, you know, told with kind of, like, flair and wit and verve, you know, can be compelling, right? Like, you could write a really compelling story about a really boring topic if you're a good enough storyteller. So you could also write a really boring story about a really interesting to- uh, topic if you're not. Mm-hmm. So uh, 
I think that also as far as fans, you know, following specific moves like Kevin Durant investing in post moves, that kind of thing, it also kind of depends like on the fan community. And I think there are certain fan communities that are extra interested in the financial moves that somebody makes. I think Jay-Z, you know, is sort of on the top of that uh, heap. And, you know, there's a whole cottage industry of people analyzing Jay's business moves like you know, most people would analyze the lyrics of, of any other rapper or, uh, you know, musical artist. So like, you know, it's kind of fascinating whenever I write anything about Jay-Z, some of the comments that I, you know, if I, if I tweet about it, you know, it, it, people go really deep and, um, you know, the, the Jay-Z fan community follows his business moves, I think, almost as closely as they follow his lyrics. And the two are so intertwined, right, because he raps about his business moves. So, you know, you could get people like debating, you know, whether or not, um, I don't know, uh, y- y- you know, um, let, let's see, uh, any given deal was, I'm trying to think of, of a good example um, of something that happened recently, but nothing's coming to mind. But like, yeah, people people do tend to, to sort of like compare and com- contrast, you know, um, Jay-Z making, you know, business deals now versus other deals in the past. And like, there's a sort of encyclopedic knowledge of some of the fan base about, you know, what he did or didn't do and, and what, you know, oh, how, what where it ranks, you know, yeah, like, yeah. uh, like title is a good example. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a good one. You know, there's a big debate over, you know, was that a good business move or not? And, you know, I think it still remains to be seen, but you know, I mean, it's definitely a revolutionary concept, right? You have, you have the artists actually owning, uh, the platform, you know, instead of just, um, kind of being along for the ride like they are you know with with the other major players that's one of the things i think i found interesting in your book was because there is this i guess tension or debate maybe of content versus platform right like for sure um like drake is obviously really popular and really successful and he does well on spotify but if you own spotify or own a piece of spotify that's far more popular and far more lucrative right and that's i think the tension is like the content versus the platform yeah, for sure. And, and you know, that, that was one of the more interesting parts of, of A-List Angels, I think, in, in writing it was seeing people on either side of the divide. And um, I would talk to people in L.A. Uh, on the creative side and they would be like, you know, ah, like all these platforms were created without us getting a stake, right? Like Facebook and Twitter and, you know, Instagram, which, of course, is now owned by Facebook. But like, you know, we missed our chance to, to really own part of these platforms. And, you know, we created, you know, it's our, like it was built off of our content and, and, you know, we should really own part of it. And, but then, you know, I would go up to San Francisco and talk to people, you know, in the Valley and so forth and, and Silicon Valley. And, and, and they would say, Oh, well, you know, and, you know, never really on the record, but it would be like, yeah, whatever we built this thing. And, you know, and the, uh, and all these celebrities just along for the ride, you know, like there wouldn't be, uh, there wouldn't be, uh, you know, like, even if there wasn't one particular artist, this platform would still exist and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, you know, definitely there's this kind of divide about who deserves credit or, you know, with that, with or without whom these things would or wouldn't be possible. Uh, and, uh, you, know, you kind of get a different opinion no matter, you know, depending on where you, where you go looking for it. You're talking about like one of the investments you mentioned in the book is that Shaq invested early on in Google right and google obviously would have been just fine without Shaq's investment right 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 yeah i mean yeah i mean that's like a really great example one of my favorite stories in the book Shaq told me he he was just at a restaurant somewhere in the late 90s and some kid came up and was like asking for his autograph or something and he's playing with the kid and 
And then the, one of the kid's parents came up and said, you know, hey, um, I, I'm a big fan of yours. Do you want, do you want to invest in Google? <laughs> and just basically, like, that was how he got into startup investing. And, you know, the, he's done quite well on that one. But yeah, I mean, you know, some of the time, these folks can be super helpful to a brand, you know, by coming in and sort of, you know, helping draw users onto the platform. But, um, you know, another thing that they can do, which is really helpful is, is sort of be a connector. So if you're a startup and Shaq is an investor, uh, I mean, like a really good example is Ring, which is another startup he invested in, Nas invested in it too. It's this like security camera thing you put on your door. It's like a virtual doorbell and, you know, somebody comes up and rings it and it goes to your, an app and you can look and see who it is. Anyway, Shaq was, was, you know, really involved with this company and sitting around with the founder and. And the founder was like, ah, oh, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could get some endorsement from law enforcement? And, 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 you know, five seconds later, Shaq's holding the phone up to his face and it's the, the police chief of Miami yes. who Shaq knew from his days with the heat, I guess. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, from some of his like reality TV work as a sheriff's deputy mm-hmm. and, you know, boom, there's that connection made. So a lot of times it's like, People, you know, th- these these characters have like incredibly uh, vast Rolodexes, you know, contacts and uh, and and, you know, even for, for people who they don't know, if you cold call, if you get a cold call from Shaq, you're, you're probably going to pick it up no matter who you are. Yeah. <laughs> and that's super valuable, you know, um, when you're when you're uh, an entrepreneur, like trying to build a company to have somebody like that around. Like you said, you've you've interviewed Ashton Kutcher. You've talked to Katy Perry. You've talked to Shaq. Uh, this is obviously for your day job at Forbes. Yeah. You don't have a traditional interview setting, right? Because you're, you're obviously talking to these famous people and they could be anywhere in the world. They could be all over the place. So, like, what are some of the unusual places, like, you've conducted interviews? Because, like, you got to get them where they are. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, Katy Perry was, was one of my uh, favorite sort of, like, unusual style interviews. So, the, the story was about, uh, this is the cover from Forbes cover from, I think, 20, 2015. And the story was about how Katy Perry made $130 million that year doing this huge world tour. And the idea was like Katy Perry, uh, you know, arena tour, you know, sensation. And so we met up in Rome where she was filming, I think, a, a sequel to Zoolander and that was the only way that it could work out and so we had this idea like what if we met up at the coliseum you know the original arena and uh and did the interview there but in order to avoid the paparazzi there was this whole kind of you know wild scenario where i had to you know wait in a in a uh, sprinter van like alone in a garage for for 20 minutes and then they the a driver hopped in and drove me kind of like around in circles for 20 minutes. And then, and then I got a call from, from her head of security and he, and he was like, get, you know, get out at the traffic circle, walk until you see a giant arch. I'm like, it's Rome. There are giant arches <laughs> all over the place. Yeah. And so I keep walking and sure enough, there's a giant arch. And, um, and he's like, you know, look, look for the lady in the big hat. I mean, it's like a spy novel or something, but I go <laughs> and, I, and I look and, uh, and, and there's a lady in a hat with big sunglasses and I get closer and sure enough, it's Katy Perry. And so, you know, we proceed to, to conduct the interview while walking around the Coliseum with a, with like a, um, a Roman history PhD student or something. Um, 
you know, so uh, that that was that was a pretty good one. That is cool. Yeah. As you talk to these people, um, these people who have been like successful and uh, done well, their approach to startups and investing in startups, do they have a different view of risk? Because that's the other question of like startups, right? Like for them, yeah. everything is risky, right? They might put out another album or Ashton Kutcher might put out a movie and it might bomb or the album may not sell well. It might be a good album, but it may not sell well. They're kind of used to navigating risks risk the whole time. So when they are approaching like Google or Ring or any of the other companies, Casper, to put in money, do they have a different view of risk? Yeah, I think somewhat paradoxically, you know, um, traditionally entertainers shy away from risk or they should um you know sexy people investing in unsexy things and and uh you know like i've done stories on on money managers for some of these characters that their their whole thing is we got you know entertainers are, are in a very volatile business we need to have uh, we need to have investments that are not volatile at all so lots of bonds you know sort of like mlps things like that things anything you know that throws off um dividends or you know decent yield uh you know that's super popular but you know at the same time it's like they have these tremendous opportunities to get in on startups on the ground floor and that's where you know the the five or ten percent of risk capital comes in where where the advisors will kind of like green light basically um some of these stars going in and and, and dumping some money into startups one of the fascinating aspects of your book as well is that you break down the different investment strategies of these celebrity A-list investors. Like yeah. Ashton Kutcher, he kind of gets into the guts of the company. He'll talk to the founders and he'll have ideas and things like that. Nas kind of like rolls with like, eh, this actually kind of makes sense. Let's go with this <laughs> kind of a yeah. Yeah, yeah, philosophy. Yeah. So you have like a broad range. Was there anybody in particular like who had like, you felt like had a really strong strategy or like a, um, a really cool strategy? Because they're all working. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think Ashton Kutcher is kind of the gold standard. I mean, he he really does get in there and, you know, in the nitty gritty and like analyze a company like somebody would who does that for a living as opposed to, you know, is an actor. But I'd say most of uh, the other big names, you know, they they have somebody who they kind of turn it over to and they're varying degrees of involvement where they say like, oh, yeah, this sounds cool. I believe in this or like, you know, um, this came my way. What do you think of it? Uh, you know, but, um, I think one of the, the more interesting names that maybe some people don't realize is really involved in this area, uh, that I came across in, in writing A-List Angels is Joe Montana. Um, like a lot of athletes and entertainers who are based in San Francisco, you know, he's, he's kind of looped in just naturally with a lot of founders and funders and so forth, you know, like on the San Francisco Bay area charity circuit and things like that. Uh, and a lot of opportunities come his way. And so, but he actually has a, uh, an early stage fund called Liquid2 and, you know, he, he works with two other partners and, and they just, they just kind of crank and, and look at, you know, just tons and tons of early stage startups and, and, um, you know, and invest there and, and they've been really, they've been killing it. I mean, they have a few unicorns that come out of there, you know, billion dollar plus companies and, um, you know, like a really good track record and he doesn't get quite as much ink for it as, as somebody like, um, Ashton Kutcher does so you know but he's um, but he's certainly up there in terms of uh, you know interesting names yeah Joe Montana is an interesting case because he he obviously played for San Francisco for the bulk of his career yeah and yeah. Um, I found that in the last couple of years the NBA because they've solidified their CBA the the contracts are more or less straightforward 
in the past, NBA players would jump ship uh, based on money, right? Like the Chicago Bulls mm-hmm. would offer you more money than the New York Knicks, so you take that deal. Now, because the contracts mm-hmm. are a little bit more streamlined, I think a factor should start becoming who's in the front row because the Golden State Warriors have a better front row than, say, like the Charlotte Hornets, right? Totally, totally. And, and that's, you know, I think that was a huge reason why Kevin Durant went there um, you know, several years back when, when he went there, you know, I mean, he, he recognized that um, that would be a great way to sort of like, you know, make the connections that he needed to make in, in the, in the venture world. Uh, he, he did that. He started his, his, um, his venture fund and, um, you know, kind of got what he wanted, got some championships and, and probably that was the, the main motivator, but uh, you know, now, now here he is in Brooklyn and, and we'll see what he can do here, but Hey, I mean, pretty good front row in, in, uh, in Brooklyn. Um, you know, I imagine once we get back to, to having front rows. Yes. Head <laughs> yeah. Are you more excited for Brooklyn, like for the Nets or for the Knicks? The Knicks seem to be, seem to be riding the ship a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, I've been a Knicks fan all my life, but they don't make it easy. I gotta That's say, what you I said know, seemed uh, to be. There's a little just, bit of hope uh, this time. Uh, you know, like I grew up in the in the 90s in New York and it was a really fun time to be a Knicks fan. And even though they never won anything, they were always in it, you know? Yeah. It was like a really um, just like like uh, uh, like a it was a fun type of basketball to watch. And you just had, you know, all these guys like, you know, Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason. It was just like a very powerful game, you know. Um, the New York physical. mugging. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you went really, in the paint, you <laughs> you're paying for yeah, it. Yeah, you you were really like, you know, I mean, it was it was a whole different uh, style of, of basketball than than is played today. Um, and um, you know, I I, uh, I missed that, and uh, you know, and, and it was like we always knew that we were going to lose to the Bulls eventually, but. But, you know, you could go to the Garden and see Michael Jordan play. I mean, I remember I, I, seeing Michael Jordan play basketball at the Garden as a kid. I mean, it was such a cool experience. And, you know, I mean, I, I still go. I'll go. But I, I think with the Knicks, it's like I'll only go if, if you know, the Lakers are in town or something like that. I can see LeBron. Mm-hmm. Because there's just, uh, there's just like, they make it very hard to watch right now, the Knicks. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I'm optimistic. It looks like uh, Obi Toppin looks like he can be a, yeah. a fun player. That was a good draft pick. Yeah, so you know we'll see. I mean, I think the Nets are going to be like the, the the hot the hot ticket um, once things get back to, you know, hopefully um, to being able to see games in person. But mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm a uh, I'm definitely you know I I don't know I'm I'm not going to jump ship from from the Knicks no matter how bad they are. But <laughs> yes, but I, I'll I'll probably go to some Nets games too when we when we get back and the swing of things so as we're just wrapping up then like i just want to pick up on a, a thread you mentioned in terms of like ashton kutcher for example uh joe montana is retired obviously he hasn't played for years uh but he's yeah. still really well known really well respected how does this investment strategy does it have any impact on popularity and fame like ashton kutcher really hasn't had a success like i know he did um uh he filled in on that sitcom two and a half men a little while ago but he hasn't really yeah. had a, a really strong tv show or movie for a little while is there kind of pressure on the on the uh, artists, I guess, to kind of maintain a certain level of fame? Like you two need to kind of keep cranking out hits uh, for Bono to be well, able to keep investing in Facebook. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think with somebody with an act like you two, you know, Bono is always going to be Bono. It doesn't it doesn't really matter. I think they don't need to have any hits anymore for you know in order to be relevant. But um, you know, somebody like Ashton Kutcher, he's sort of the exception where he he. Uh, 
he was kind of in a weird spot in his career when he started doing this investing stuff. And I think this really made him more famous. I mean, you know, this, what, what he's been doing as a venture capitalist has kind of like elevated him and, and, and kept him up in, in sort of A-list territory, even though he hasn't really been, you know, putting out any huge movies or, you know, um, you know, there's, he's been doing some TV stuff, but the ranch. Yeah. You know, I, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, uh, I think it's got a, a good following and everything, but, um, I think the thing that's really kept him in the public eye is, is, you know, is his investing. So, you know, almost more like a, a Mark Cuban type of person, uh, you know, kind of path to maintaining one's, um, one's fame, uh, you know, in, instead of like a traditional uh, way of doing it through acting. All right. So what's next after this? The, the book A-List Angels is out now. What is next for you? Are you working on another book now or you just need some time to recoup from this one? Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm working on um, a new edition of uh, the Empire State of Mind. Jay-Z biography I wrote called Empire State of Mind. And now that he's a billionaire, of course, I had to do a billionaire edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that'll be out in um, should be out in, in 2021 uh, mid-year. Yeah. Didn't uh, your article in Forbes prompt the the billion dollar was it the remix? The yeah, that was <laughs> that back in two thousand seven. It was the first ever hip hop cash kings package uh, that I worked on, and um, uh, Jay Z, Diddy, and Fifty Cent were number one, two, and three on that list. And uh, they were so excited to be on this Forbes list that uh, that they did this remix of "I Get Money" and they called it. The Forbes one two three billion dollar remix. So that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's on a lot of my favorite yeah, my playlists. <laughs> that got that's got to be pretty inspiring as a hip hop head to like get yeah. a little like tribute that way to like to your work. Yeah, oh for sure. Does that mean then after you you write about uh, Jay and uh, kind of do a billion dollar update on Empire State of Mind or uh, Empire State? Are you going to then add anything to the Three Kings? Because you wrote about Dre in that one, and Dre obviously just had that big deal with Apple. Yeah, well, that you know, uh, that was after. So that's in the book. Three Three Kings was the book I wrote before A List Angels, and you know, and and Dre talked about, you know, sort of the the Beats deal and and all that. But yeah, that was that was after he'd already sold it to Apple. Um, so you know, there's less of an update to do there. I mean, I guess I I could also you know there could be a a billionaire update there. but also dre i think is getting divorced and like maybe doesn't have a prenup so he's going to be having a lot less money uh, potentially pretty soon <laughs> all right that's we yeah. gotta leave it there because then uh, there's nowhere to go after that poor guy yeah. Um, yeah 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 where can people find you online to see more of your stories to hear more billion dollar updates and to see who you're hanging out with next maybe in rome yeah, you can find me uh, Twitter and Instagram at Zogblog, Z-O-G-B-L-O-G, and um, those are I'd say my two main my two main places where I, I'm active online. Do you like doing? I just quickly list at the end there, but like, I know you haven't done any proper speaking gigs just because of the the way the 2020s kind of uh, evolved. But like, do you kind of like getting out there and like taking a break from the writing and just doing like speaking? Because you had uh, you had a couple of gigs before. Yeah, no, I, uh, I I was doing a lot of speaking up until the until COVID hit, and uh, no, I'd be excited to get to get back at that. Um, you know, once once we're returning to um, you know something resembling normal, so you know that's definitely uh, one of my hopes for the new year. 
All right. Uh, great. We covered quite a bit. We covered um, you right in a van by the volcano in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> we covered uh, Kevin Durant, 90s Knicks, and the new book is A-List Angels. I think we did a good job. Yeah. That's for it. sure. Thank you so much, right. Zach, for uh, your time and for hanging out. And I really oh, dug the bet. book. Like, I thought it was a fascinating intersection. The wealth generation and, like, famous people. Because these people are investing in companies like Facebook that are affecting us. You know what I mean? So it's a ripple no, totally. effect. Uh, like, things like we all use Ring. A lot of us use Ring, Amazon, these kind of things, Google. So it's like when we empower these people, these famous people through MBA sales and all these kind of things, then they take that money and then give us companies back. So it's an interesting like circle. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, I think it's, it's really important to know, you know, where, where your products are coming from, whether it's, you know, food or music. So, uh, you know, or startups, uh, who the ownership, uh, what the ownership structure is. So mm -hmm. that's kind of one of the goals of the book. Great. Thanks, Sammy. Really appreciate it. So now, after listening to that, are you all ready to invest your monies? That was Zach O'Malley-Greenberg. His book is A-List Angels, How a Band of Actors, Artists, and Athletes Hacked Silicon Valley. And I am Sammy Yunan. I highly recommend Zach's book, A-List Angels, but rather than highlight another excellent story or a compelling moment from his book, I'm going to cheat and reference another book. Sarah Fryer's No Filter, The Inside Story of Instagram, came out in 2020. It has a fantastic example of many of the issues and topics Zach and I discussed. In the book, Sarah writes, By the summer of 2011, Twitter had about 100 million monthly users, and Facebook had more than 800 million. Instagram, which had just recently launched, it was about a year old at that point, Instagram was a much smaller player with 6 million signups but had reached that milestone about twice as fast by building off the existing networks. Nowhere was this effect more apparent than with celebrities. Justin Bieber had more than 11 million followers on Twitter. So when the 17-year-old pop star joined Instagram and tweeted out his first filtered IG photo, a high-contrast take on traffic in Los Angeles, it set off a chain reaction. IG's servers were stressed as Bieber gained 50 followers a minute. Okay, that's all celebrity standard, right? No surprises. I mean, even before Bieber, Snoop Dogg was the first celebrity to post an image to Instagram. However, Bieber ended up establishing the early IG culture. First, and this is from Sarah's Instagram book, but I'm paraphrasing, Bieber's manager, Scooter Braun, had seen this movie before. Bieber was at that time a mostly internet famous celebrity. He'd been posting his content on social media sites and quote unquote getting nothing in return. Which is kind of ironic if that's irony since YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter is mostly how Bieber became internet famous. Biebs? Bieber? I'm too old for this. Maybe Braun thought he could get something out of Instagram. This is how the story's going, right? The star music industry manager called up IG's founder and issued the following ultimatum. Let Bieber invest in Instagram or 
paying him for his content. Otherwise, he'll stop using Instagram. That totally sounds fair, right? Now, Instagram had already decided they wouldn't be paying anyone for their content. They said no to paying the Biebs and no to taking his investment money. Bieber followed through on Braun's threat. He took his ball and went home. He left IG. Here's the but. Bieber's GF, Selena Gomez, loved to use IG. GF, IG, see what I did there? Pretty clever. So, of course, Bieber was back on the app. Bieber's following was enough to change the nature of the Instagram community. To quote the book, Sarah writes, All of a sudden, Instagram was emoji heaven. As younger users joined, they invented a new etiquette on Instagram, which involved trading likes for likes and follows for follows. Instagram's community of earnest people telling interesting stories in tiny moments really evolved to be super pop culture. That illustrates right there what Zach and I were talking about. For better or for worse, we're stuck with Instagram and the culture and we have to reckon with it. And it's going to be interesting to see as discussions kind of surround big tech what celebrities choose to invest in if there will be penalties for what they choose to invest in and what they choose to do with their wealth. Zach's book, A-List Angels, is fantastic. If you have a chance, pick it up. If you're interested in celebrity culture, pick it up. If you like uh, investments and business, pick it up. If you like really good storytelling and really good writing, pick it up. I'm part of the problem, not part of the solution, because I am on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All three are my pal Sammy. Facebook, Twitter, and IG, my pal Sammy. I know, I'm part of the problem. I'm making everything worse. Thank you so much for listening to me in a Netflix world. Hey, less angels, yo.